Well, friends, would you turn with me, please, to the words that we read in Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. Reading again at verse 4. Where we read, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Joseph Scriven is a name that many of us are probably unfamiliar with. This man, Joseph Scriven, was born in Ireland in 1819 and he trained to become a teacher. He fell in love with a young woman, but the day before their wedding, she drowned. In his grief, he moved to Canada, where after a period of time, he fell in love with another young woman, Eliza Rice. They planned to marry, but just weeks before the wedding, Eliza became unwell and passed away. While living in Canada, his mother became sick, but Joseph didn't have the funds to go back to Ireland to be with her. Joseph Scriven was a man who knew great heartache throughout his life. And I began by saying that Many of us are probably unfamiliar with the name Joseph Scriven, but we've probably all sung a hymn that he composed out of his grief and pain. And if you've not sung it before, you'll be singing it in a short while. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our griefs and pains to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Well, this evening we're continuing our studies in the book of Nehemiah and we're focusing on this great prayer that he brought to the Lord out of his grief and pain over the condition of the Lord's people and the Lord's cause. We're looking at this under three headings, the reaction, the recognition, and finally the request. First, we have the reaction. Look at verse four. Here we see Nehemiah's reaction to the report that he received about the condition of the Jews and Jerusalem. In verses 1 to 3, we saw the report that Nehemiah was given. We were introduced to this man, Nehemiah. Uh, He was a Jew, the son of a man named Hakaliah, and he was living in Persia and had risen to the trusted and honoured position of cupbearer to the king. But despite despite his advancement to such a trusted and honoured position, Nehemiah had maintained a keen concern for the Lord's cause and the Lord's people. He had called for a meeting with his brother Hanani and certain men from Judah. And he had asked him in the course of the meeting how the Jews living in Judah were faring and how the city of Jerusalem was. And Hanani and the others had proceeded to give Nehemiah a very discouraging report. They told him that the people were in great trouble and shame. And they told him that the walls of the city were broken down and its gates burned with fire. We now come to Nehemiah's reaction to that report in verse 4. We can begin by noting that there was a passionate response. As soon as he hears these words, Nehemiah sits down. He doesn't have the strength to stand. He weeps and he mourns. He's filled with emotion when he hears about the condition of the Lord's people and the condition of the Lord's cause. But there was more than a passionate response. There was also a prayerful response. Nehemiah fasts. He abstains from eating. 
And while he fasts, he prays to the God of heaven. As he fasts and prays, Nehemiah is showing that coming to the Lord in prayer is more important to him than eating. As he fasts and prays, Nehemiah is showing that he cares more about the Lord's cause and the Lord's people than he does about his own appetite, his own body. And this weeping and this mourning, this fasting and this praying was persistent. It was prolonged. He writes that he wept and mourned for many days. He goes on and writes that he continued to fast and pray. And he does so all the way from the month of Kislev, chapter 1, verse 1, to the month of Nisan, chapter 2, verse 1. That's a period of about four months. Now that doesn't mean he did nothing but fast and pray. But it does mean that that was his regular habit over these four months. One of fasting, praying, weeping, mourning, sitting down in the presence of the Lord. Now friends, as we consider this verse, we've been given an example of how we ought to react when we consider the condition of the Lord's people and the condition of the Lord's cause. Look at how Nehemiah reacts. He hears a discouraging report about the lamentable condition of the Lord's people. Here's a discouraging report about the low ebb of the Lord's cause. And he sits down and he weeps and he mourns and he fasts and he prays. And that is such an example for ourselves. Two weeks ago I spoke about the devastating impact that the last two years have had on our congregation. And not only on our congregation but on the congregations of other ministers who I've been speaking to. I spoke about people who now prefer the comfort of their living room, the comfort of their sofa, the comfort comfort of online services to gathering with the Lord's people to magnify the Lord's name. It's not that they're unwell. It's not that they've got a health concern. It's pure and simple. Can't be bothered. Can't be bothered. I spoke about others who become completely disengaged, completely distanced, completely disconnected from church life altogether. They've got no more interest in church. And I wonder, friends, do we react in the same way as Nehemiah when we consider this? Does it leave us sitting down, unable to stand? Does it leave us weeping, and mourning? Does it leave us fasting and praying? I know it greatly disturbs some of you because I speak to you about it. And I know it's causing great anxiety for you. You know, friends, we can become so emotionally invested in things such as a football team. We shout at the TV. We scream at the TV. We, we go into decline when Points are dropped. Maybe some of you are in a bit of a decline after today's results. But do we have the same emotional intensity, the same emotional investment when it comes to the Lord's cause and the Lord's people? Tim Trumper makes this observation. The more we grow as Christians, the less animated we become about sport and other things. And the more engaged we become with the cause of Jesus. I'll say that again. The more we grow as Christians, the less animated we become about sport and other things, and the more engaged we become with the cause of Jesus. And so this evening I simply want to ask, how are we reacting 
when we consider the condition of the Lord's people and the condition of the Lord's cause as we come out of this devastating period of lockdowns and restrictions. How are we reacting? But we move from the reaction to the recognition. Look at verses 5 to 7. And here we see Nehemiah's recognition of who the Lord is and who he is. As Nehemiah prays, we can see his confidence in the one whom he is praying to. Look at verse 5. Nehemiah is confident that he's praying to the Lord. Now this word Lord isn't a title. This word Lord is God's personal name, his covenant name, the Hebrew word Yahweh. This is the God whom Nehemiah knows that he is praying to. Nehemiah is confident that he's praying to the God of heaven. This God isn't limited to one geographical area such as Judah or Persia. This is the God of heaven. This is the God who rules over the cosmos. This is the God whom Nehemiah knows that he is praying to. Nehemiah is confident that he is praying to the God who is great and awesome. This is the God who inspires fear and awe in the hearts of his people. You don't trivialize this God. You don't trifle with this God. This is the God whom you tremble before. This is the God whom Nehemiah knows that he prays to. And Nehemiah is confident that he's praying to the God of steadfast love. He's the God who maintains his covenant promises. He's the God who remains devoted to his people. The God who remains committed to those who love him and keep his commands. This is the God whom Nehemiah knows uh, that he is praying to. He is confident in his God. Nehemiah goes on though to confess his sins and the sins of his people in verses 6 and 7. He begins by confessing that he and the people have sinned against the Lord. Look at verse 6. He asks the Lord to be attentive and to open his ears to his prayer. But even as he asks this, he confesses that he and the people have sinned. And he does more than confess the sins of the people in general. He says, I, even I have sinned. And he says, not simply I, even I have sinned, but he also says, my father's house have sinned. My family have sinned. We all share in the sin together. And he continues by outlining the sins that he and his family uh, and the people of Israel have all been participating in. In verse 7, he admits that they have acted corruptly. And he admits that they have not kept the commands, not kept the statutes, not kept the rules that the Lord had given to Moses. As far as Nehemiah is concerned, there is one central reason why the Lord's people are at such a low ebb. There is one central reason why the Lord's people are not experiencing the Lord's blessing. And it's because they've sinned against the Lord. Now friends, as we consider these verses, we're being given an example of what we should recognise about the Lord as we approach him in prayer. Nehemiah recognised who he was praying to. He, he knew that he was praying to the Lord. He knew that he was praying to the God of heaven. He knew that he was praying to the God who is great and awesome. He knew that he was praying to the God of steadfast love. And the same is true for ourselves. Dale Ralph Davis tells the following story. I once had a friend who knew that he would be having some encounters with one of his superiors and that these encounters might not be of the most pleasant variety. It happened that his superior had published an autobiographical account and so my friend laid hands on that autobiographical piece and read it through. 
He wanted to become as thoroughly acquainted with the man's character as he could as a preparation for having to deal with him. Davis concludes by writing, Knowing what kind of God we have is an essential preface to prayer. Our theology is the proper foundation for our devotion. In other words, knowing who our God is should inspire us to pray. And in this little prayer of Nehemiah, we're being given reminders of what we should recognise about our God. He is the Lord. He's the God who has a name. He's the God who's personal. Friends, we are not praying to a force. We are not praying to some ethereal power out there. We are praying to the God who is personal, the God who has a name. He's the God who dwells in heaven, the ruler over the whole cosmos. He is not the God of Scotland. He is not the God of the United Kingdom. He is not the God of the West. He is the God of the cosmos. He is the God who is great and awesome. The God who leaves men and women trembling in his presence. If he were in this building tonight and we could really see him, we would not yawn. We would not be drifting off. We would not be slouching in our pews. We would be alert. We would be fearful. And he's the God of steadfast love. The God who is faithful. The God who is committed. The God who is devoted to his people and to all the promises that he has made to them. But as we consider these verses, we're not just being given an example of what we should recognise about the Lord in our prayers. We're also being given an example of what we should recognise about ourselves. As we approach this Lord in prayer, Nehemiah recognised who and what he was as he prayed. He confesses that he and his family and all the people have sinned against the Lord. He recognises that such people don't deserve the Lord's blessing. William Fleming writes, the prayer of Nehemiah doesn't centre upon the social and temporal needs of the people, though these are great and our issues demanding immediate attention. But instead he recognises that Israel has sinned. The rebellion of Israel against God is at the heart of his prayer. And the same is true for ourselves. You know, friends, there are those occasions in Scripture when the Lord blesses his people in spite of their sin. But there are far more occasions in Scripture when the Lord withholds his blessing from his people because of their sin. And what's maybe most sobering of all is sometimes it's just the sin of one individual. Just one individual. That is why it is so important, friends, that as we attempt to move forward as a congregation, that we confess our personal and corporate sins to the Lord in prayer. He is the God who is great and awesome. He is the God who is holy and doesn't tolerate wrong. But he is also the God of steadfast love. The God who is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins through the cleansing blood of Jesus. So friends, if if, if you are aware tonight of a sin in your life that might be withholding something of the Lord's blessing, take it to him in prayer. Maybe also even as a congregation, if there have ever been times that we have been proud, if there have ever been times that we have been focused more on ourselves than on the Lord, if there have, there have ever been times when it's not been all about Jesus. I'm not accusing anyone of anything tonight, but 
let's bring it all to the Lord in prayer. Let's confess it all to the Lord. But we move from the recognition to third and finally the request. Look at verses 8 to 11. And we now see Nehemiah's request that the Lord would act for his people. Nehemiah moves on in his prayer to present his request to the Lord and he begins by asking the Lord to remember his word. Look at verses 8 and 9. Nehemiah speaks about the word that the Lord had spoken in the days of Moses. Back in Leviticus 26, we find the Lord warning his people what would happen if they proved themselves to be faithless. He spoke about those who wouldn't do all his commands. He spoke about those who would spurn his statutes. He spoke about those who would abhor his rules. And he warned them that he would devastate the land. And not only would he devastate the land, but he would also scatter the peoples throughout the nations. And then he said he would leave their cities a waste. But in Deuteronomy chapter 30, we find the Lord promising his people what would happen if they returned to him. He promised to restore their fortunes. He promised that he would have mercy on them. He promised that he would gather them once again to their own land. And he promised that he would make them more numerous, more prosperous than their fathers had been. And now Nehemiah asks the Lord to remember his word. He knows that the Lord had scattered his people in faithfulness to his word. But since then, Nehemiah and others have been turning to the Lord. They've been seeking the Lord. They've been going hard after the Lord. And he's now asking the Lord to be as faithful to his word of promise as he was to his word of warning. He's saying, Lord, you warned us that you would scatter us if we were unfaithful. And you've been good on your word. But Lord, you also promised that you would restore us, that you would have mercy on us, that you would, you would bless us if we were faithful and turned back to you. Will, you. will you be faithful to your word? And Nehemiah carries on, though, by asking the Lord not simply to remember his word, but to remember his people. Look at verse 10. Nehemiah speaks here about the people whom the Lord has redeemed. The language of redemption has to do with the payment of a price, the purchase of something or someone. And throughout the Exodus, we see the deliverance of the Lord's people from Egypt being described as a redemption. The Lord bought his people and brought them to himself. And now Nehemiah asks the Lord, verse 10, to remember his redeemed people. He's saying, remember who they are. They, they, they're not any old people, Lord. They are your people. They are your servants. And he's saying, remember, Lord, what you have done for them. You redeemed them. Nehemiah is coming to the Lord in prayer and he's saying, Lord, remember your people. Remember what you have done for them. Remember all the efforts that you have gone to, to to redeem them and to make them yours, to make them your servants. Lord, don't let all of this go to waste. Don't let what happened in Egypt go to waste. Don't what hap let ha what happened in the wilderness go to waste. Don't let what happened in the days of David and Solomon go to waste. Remember your people. 
And finally, Nehemiah asks the Lord to remember his servant. Look at verse 11. The task facing Nehemiah is huge. About 12 years previously, the Persian king had forbidden any further rebuilding work on the city of Jerusalem. You read about that in the book of Ezra. And Nehemiah knows then that if the city is to be rebuilt, then he will need the king of Persia to either rescind or circumvent his previous decree. And Nehemiah knows that although he is cupbearer to the king, although he has got such a trusted position, such an honoured position, he is very much subservient to the king. He is very much subordinate to the king. You know, this would be like someone going up to Vladimir Putin tonight and they say they're, they're his personal chauffeur and they go up to him and they say, look, you've got to stop what you're doing to Ukraine. This is not going to be easy for this man, Nehemiah, he, he is just a Jew who has to go to the king of Persia and say to him, rescind your decree, circumvent your decree, change your mind about the rebuilding program of Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah prays. He prays that the Lord would be attentive to his prayers and to the prayers of all his servants who fear his name. He prays that the Lord would give him success or prosperity in all that he intends to do. And he prays that the Lord would grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Isn't that interesting? Nehemiah has lived in Persia all his life. And he knows how the Persians viewed their king. That that the king was on such a high pedestal. And Nehemiah says here, ah yeah. But he's just a man. He's just a man. This man. And he knows that the Lord is the God of heaven. And even the king of Persia is under the Lord's sovereign authority. Even the king of Persia is a creature before his creator. Even Vladimir Putin with his 5,000 nuclear warheads or however many he's got. He is just a creature before his creator. Do you believe that? Can you say amen to that? Well, friends, as we consider these verses, we're being given an example of the kind of requests that we ought to be making in our prayers. That's what we see in Nehemiah's prayer. He knows that if the city of Jerusalem is to be rebuilt, and if the Jews of Judah are to be revitalized, then it will take a sovereign work of God. He knows that if the Lord's people and the Lord's cause are to flourish and prosper once more, it will take more than human endeavor. It will take divine intervention. It will take divine enablement. And so he prays, before he does anything else, he prays that the Lord would remember and be attentive. He prays that the Lord would act. And friends, that is such an encouragement to us this evening. Our greatest need as a congregation, as we attempt this journey out of lockdown and attempt to regroup, an attempt to rebuild ourselves, an attempt to reach out to our community with the gospel, our greatest need is for the Lord to act in grace and power. Our greatest need as a congregation is for the Lord to remember us and to be attentive to our cries. And so we are being encouraged in these verses to be praying for success. Not the kind of success where people would exclaim what a successful church the High Free Church are. Aren't they doing a wonderful job? Aren't they growing? Aren't they flourishing after lockdown? No, not that kind of success. But the kind of success that would redound to the Lord's praise, the Lord's honour, 
the Lord's glory. The kind of success where, where people looking on, the people of Stornoway, would be left saying, the Lord remembered them. The Lord was attentive to their cry. You can't explain what's happening in that congregation apart from giving reference to the Lord of heaven. These verses, friends, are encouraging us to be praying that the Lord would act. Not because we are deserving, not because we are worthy, but because he is a God of grace, he is a God who restores, he is, as we saw two weeks ago, the God who comforts. Cyril Barber makes this very probing statement. The self-sufficient do not pray. They merely talk to themselves. The self-satisfied do not pray. They have no awareness of their need. The self-righteous cannot pray. They have no basis upon which to approach God. So as we close this evening, I want to ask, will the High Free Church be marked by God-dependency? Will the High Fay Church be marked by prayerful fervency? A God-dependency, a prayerful fervency that rests on the all-sufficient grace, the all-surpassing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is seen most clearly in and through weak, powerless vessels. Will we be a people who are desperately calling on the Lord to act Friends, can I say this very clearly? We need the Lord's help right now. We need the Lord's help as we attempt to regroup. We need the Lord's help as we attempt to rebuild. We need the Lord's help as we attempt to reach out to our community with the gospel. We need the Lord's help as we attempt to get a permanent place of worship for our church do you believe this and will you ask for this will you ask for his help because that is all Nehemiah could possibly do before he did anything else